Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. This is essentially the Christian understanding of God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. And it's in the prophet Isaiah who wrote around about 750 BC. And of course, Jews and other critics of the Bible looked at this and said, oh, that must have been inserted. That must have been written maybe 1st century AD, 2nd century AD or later. That could not possibly have been in the original Isaiah text. Perhaps one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, even for those with limited biblical experience, comes from the New Testament. It's John 3:16. Even if you don't know the whole verse by heart, you might recognise the opening line, for God so loved the world. What follows in that verse is the most incredible truth. It's the gospel message in a nutshell. Dr. Corbett is exploring the New Testament book of John in a series titled The Last Gospel. And tonight he's exclusively in that well-known verse of John 3:16 to explore that wonderful phrase, for God so loved the world. Let's join him now. Good morning, Merry Christmas. Great to be here today. And uh, I'm gonna share with you uh, some things that I think are really pertinent to what we're doing with uh, celebrating Christmas. And so thank you for being here. And one of the things that I want to uh, uh, point out to us today is that all of the readings that you saw Karen, Louise and Amanda do this morning were from three of the four Gospels. The Gospel of John, which we're going to have a look at in a moment, doesn't have the story of the birth of Christ. And there's a, there's a really good reason for that. Partly, that's because when John wrote his gospel, he was one of the most intimate eyewitnesses to what it, the, the life of Christ involved. He knew that Matthew and Mark, who was the, the secretary to the Apostle Peter, and Luke had already told that story and so he tells something a little bit more I think profound if it's possible and it reflects something that had been growing in the Jewish understanding of God. The Jews had become increasingly aware that God must have a son and we're talking first century bc this awareness became really clear one of the christmas verses that are used on christmas cards is isaiah 9 verse 6 and that actually says that god had an eternal son for to us a child is born to us a son is given he was already a son he didn't become a son and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace added to this we read some of the other famous christmas verses out of micah chapter 5 which talks about bethlehem in verse 2 but you o bethlehem ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, which is the Jewish way of saying 
eternity. No beginning has always been. So Jews had this increasing awareness that there was an equally divine person, equal to the Father, but different, separate to the Father, but somehow linked. And we we find this in the prophet Isaiah. To the extent that some, some people up until the early 20th century said, oh, the, these Isaiah passages must have been written after the event. They must have been written 1st century or 2nd century AD, certainly not before Jesus appeared. And here's, here's why they would think that as a Jew, not wanting to, Jews not wanting to accept the Christian message that Jesus is the one who fulfilled these statements in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 48, if you read the chapter, it says, Thus says the Lord, I say to you, and things like this. And then it says this in verse 16, Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to me, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me. And his spirit. This is essentially the Christian understanding of God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. And it's in the prophet Isaiah who wrote around about 750 BC. And of course, Jews and other critics of the Bible looked at this uh, from the critics of the Christian message, I should say, looked at this and said, oh, that must have been inserted. That must have been written maybe 1st century AD, 2nd century AD or later. That could not possibly have been in the original Isaiah text. The problem occurred in 1948 when a, a little a young goat herder lost a goat. Do you know the story? He couldn't find his goat, the goat in the, the sort of in, in around the outside Jerusalem in the wilderness there had gone what appeared to be in a cave. He was a bit scared to go into the cave, so he threw a rock into the cave to see if he would hear, <laughs> I assume, and maybe scared the goat to come out. But instead he heard the shattering of pottery. He went in there and he discovered that there had been tar-sealed pots that had papyrus scrolls in them and he took these scrolls and took them into the metropolitan who is the name given to the orthodox bishop in Jerusalem who had a look at these scrolls and thought these are the prophet this is the prophet Isaiah those scrolls were later dated to several hundred years BC in other words what we have here in Isaiah 48 was, was verified as existing, and there was a copy of it, hundreds of years before it happened. So this Christian message that God is the Father and the Son and the Spirit, as Isaiah said, the Lord God has sent me and his Spirit. And in verse 17, thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, succeed, who leads you in the way you should go. And then Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison 
to those who are bound. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you would know that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes that and he says, that has now been fulfilled in me. Closed the scroll and sat down in the synagogue. The response was not what you might expect, but you can read about that yourself. After the prophet Isaiah, a whole section of the Old Testament called wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and so on, was put together. And the second last chapter of the compiled book of Proverbs, the source of wisdom, says this, verse 4, Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Of course, his name is God. The Jews call God Yahweh. Yahweh. What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Critics of Christianity said, oh, well, that's not the son of God. That's speaking of Israel as the son of God. But surely you would know the name of Israel. And here we have the divine scripture saying, and what is his name? And the prophet Isaiah tells us his name, and we sang about it this morning. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so John wrote his account of the life of Christ. I'm referring to it as the last gospel. Gospel means good news. And it's a genre of literature exclusively about Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. And so this is going to be based on the section in John chapter 3. It's probably the most famous verse for Christians. And it's John 3.16. And that's what we're going to have a look at in a moment. For God so loved the world. But in order to understand the most well-known, most memorized verse, unless you're in kids' church, if you're, in, if you're a child going to Sunday school and you have to memorize a verse, uh, I think John 11 30 or 35 is the one where Jesus, it says Jesus wept. That would be probably the most go-to verse by young children. But here, this is probably the most famous one. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we'll see this in a moment. But the story is this, leading up to it. That the teacher of Israel, the leading teacher of Israel, his name was Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night from meeting because he didn't want anyone to know and they had a meeting and it's pretty obvious that young John who would have been about 16 years of age went to that meeting with Jesus and John tells us the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus Nicodemus he knew all the Isaiah prophecies he knew Proverbs 30 he knew that there was good evidence in the Jewish scriptures that God had a son who wasn't made, it wasn't created, he didn't have a beginning, he always was. Because God is the everlasting or eternal father as we just read in Isaiah or saw in Isaiah. And so in this, Jesus is telling Nicodemus The rest of the story. Every Jew knew their story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 
became, Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes went down into Egypt when Joseph saved them. They were held in bondage for some 400 years. They cried out to God. They were delivered out of Egypt. They wandered through the wilderness. They were then brought in by Joshua into the promised land. Every Jew knows this story. But somewhere in that story comes this message that God's son would appear and be their redeemer and saviour. And every Jew figured out how the story must continue. The story must continue that God would send his son, the redeemer, the saviour, the one who was also worshipped in the Old Testament, and he would come and he would kick the Romans out, and this would be the story. Instead, the conversation, as we're going to see in a moment, goes like this. Because it is not what Nicodemus anticipated at all. And the story goes like this. I am that son. I am the son. You see, in Daniel chapter 7, when Daniel, the prophet, 400 or so, 450 BC, 500 BC or so, Daniel gets a vision of the coming of Jesus Christ. And he describes Jesus. He actually gives him a title. The title is the Son of Man. So the Son of God is called the Son of Man. Now why would that be? Because of Christmas. Because God the Son became God the Man. That's what Christmas is about. The word we use as Christians is the word incarnation. Carn means flesh. If you're carnivorous, you eat flesh. To be incarnated means to become flesh. And Daniel said, the coming of the Son of God will be the time when God will be known as the Son of Man. Profound. It is the expression that Jesus used of himself more often than anything else. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 to 14. Now with this background we read this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him. Because Nicodemus is expecting Jesus to tell the story that he assumed was going to be the rest of the story. I've come to kick the Romans out, Nicodemus. But Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the one who gives living water jesus is the one who gives the spirit of god 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You can call yourself a Christian and never be born again. You could call yourself a Christian because you go to church. But I suppose if you were born in a garage, you could call yourself a car, but it wouldn't make you a car. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're born in Australia doesn't make you a Christian. That which is born of the flesh, without my help, without the water that I give and the spirit that I give, is just flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit, Spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. There has to be a new beginning. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? Yet you do not understand these things, what I'm telling you? You don't get it? I'm wondering if Jesus was thinking, you've read Ezekiel. You've read the prophet Ezekiel. He said that when I come, I will start a new covenant. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You will live on the inside. Nicodemus, don't you get it? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. These are strong words. These are really strong words. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you are holding to your view of what I should be rather than who I actually am. You are holding to a story that is not my story. It's not the story of reality. The story of reality is that my father has sent me and I've come not to transform the geopolitical situation of Israel under the the dominion of the Romans. I've come to transform you. That something takes place in you. And this is why Christmas. Jesus came to transform people. You see, this story that Jesus is about to tell Nicodemus is the only story that can give you hope for a better future. Hope that there is one who is in control. Not just that. Hope that there is one who knows you better than you know yourself. Hope. The expectation. Hope is the positive expectation of a better future. The only source you can get that from is this story. We all live by story. We have a story that says, if I do this, I'll do this, and then I'll happily retire, and that's my story. No, it's not. That's a story that will fail you because life will throw stuff at you. But if you have a rock, an anchor in your life, and this is what Jesus is telling him, don't worry about the Romans. Worry about what's in your heart. It's got to be in your heart, Nicodemus. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? If you don't get these most basic things that you should know by now in Scripture, you should know this story. That God is the God of surprises. God is the God who does things that you don't expect. God does the miraculous things that you said were impossible. Yet he does them. 
Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. The son of man. The son of man. There's that term. That should have been a, for Nicodemus, he would have gone, did you just use the Daniel designation for God the son come in the flesh? That's what he should have done because he's the teacher of Israel. He should have known this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may, not, may have eternal life. If you want to know more about that, I wrote about that in this week's pastor's desk. About Moses lifting up the serpent, which came at a time when thousands of people were dying and Moses was commanded to make a bronze serpent and put it on a, on a cross-beamed pole and hold it up in the air for people to see. And Jesus says, that's me. That was just a shadow. That was just a foretaste, a prefiguring of me. This is what's going to happen to me. And all who looked on that bronze serpent, they lived. They were, they were delivered from the poison of the vipers that had bitten them. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus this, that I will be lifted up in the air. I will be on a cross beam pole. This is the story of Christmas. You might go, that sounds more like Easter. It does because they're connected. This is what we need to understand. John, now, in your, in your Bible, if you have one of those... Bibles that prints things in red like I do, it continues to be read from verses 16 to 21, but it's not. It's actually black. This is John saying, let me just tell you what, what, you, what you've just heard in this conversation. And this is what John is about to tell us. John has recorded that, that conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, the teacher of Israel. Jesus has revealed to the most learned man in Israel, the purpose of his birth, Christmas, where his life is going, and his impending death. The Apostle John then enlightens us, as we're going to see in a moment, about the implications of this conversation. And here come the implications. John tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's that Jewish narrative story. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Not believe him. Believe in him. Should not perish like those Israelites who were being bitten at that time by the plague of snakes that was resolved when Moses lifted up that bronze serpent on a cross-beamed pole. For God did not send his son into the world, and this is John telling us about Jesus, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. John is telling us Jesus is the light. The hope of every Jew was to find the light of God. And John tells us it's Jesus, the Christmas child. And people loved the darkness 
rather than the light because their works were evil. And can we just put a footnote on that as well? The dark works, things that we do when we shake our fist at God, they hurt us. We're the victims. We're the victims. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I want us all to come to the light and discover that it's in the light that you find the reason you're put on this planet. It's by coming into the light that you discover that there is one who created you for a purpose. He loves you. You have no idea how much he loves you until you get Christmas and its connection to Easter. Let me remind you of this verse again. The invitation is to whoever. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to come from a particular nation. It's for whoever shall not perish. There is a consequence to how we live. If there's not, this world is cruel because there are some crimes that go unpunished and undealt with. But here, the Bible tells us God will hold all people to account but have eternal life. That is, they will receive adoption by God and be his sons and daughters for eternity. This is a free offer. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to go through a ritual. You don't have to do anything. You just say, Jesus, this is what I want. I want your forgiveness. I want what you offer. Why? Why would God do this? Why? Why would God make this incredible offer through Jesus Christ that we've heard him described to Nicodemus you must be born again there's got to be a line in the sand there's got to be a line on the page of your life that says that old story that hasn't really worked for me I'm just starting a new line here a new page a fresh page and it's this Jesus I need your help to do this thing called life I'm vexed by anxiety I'm vexed by worry I'm 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 so concerned about what others think of me I can hardly function I need your help why would God do it because he loved because he loved and i'll just say without understanding how much god loves us none of us actually understand what love itself is and how did he show his love as the prophets said the prophet isaiah the prophet micah the prophet daniel and jeremiah said the son of god would come Daniel said, and from that point, he would be known as the Son of Man. He'd become one of us. That's Christmas. That he sent his only son. That's why Christmas is so precious to Christians. God sent his son. God so loved the world that he, what's the next word? Gave, which is why we give gifts to remind us that the one whom we worship, he gave and we give. Let's pray. Would you please stand with me? Father, I pray that this Christmas would be a red line across the page where those who've tried to live by their own resources, those who've tried the best they can, and for those of us who've lost hope that you really are in control, but here we have the reminder that what you said as part of your story, the story not just of the world, but the story that 
intersects our own lives is a story that tells us you're in control. Even when things look dark, even when things look bad, you're in control. And Father, may those who are with us now know that even though they might think God could never forgive me, you don't know what I've done. I'm so far away from God, there's no hope. And I'll say what Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not perish. That you're not a million miles away from God. You're just one prayer away, a prayer from your heart that says, God, come into my life and help me. And Father, may we know your love. May we, the, may we also know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that's come as a result of that first Christmas. And we remind ourselves every Christmas of it. And may we know the presence of the Spirit that Jesus talked about here in this passage. And I pray that this would be fulfilled in everyone gathered here and listening online right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel Part 3 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel and yet he didn't recognise Jesus and the role he had to play in Israel's salvation. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. Music